Welcome to Comcast with Tracy and Clay, where we discuss the latest in workers' compensation law for both Georgia and Alabama. We're glad that you're with us here today. Welcome. It's Tracy Leonard from Savelle and Williams. How are you doing today? Clay Clark, Clark May Price. Good, good. We're um we're gonna talk about um an interesting topic today and uh one in which uh, I think everybody will be interested in Georgia and Alabama because we both have an available defense. It's a uh, we do willful misconduct. Yes. Well tell me about Georgia. <laughs> I mean what's what's the law there? Yeah, you know, this has been you know, this is a situation. There have been several podcasts that we've talked about. Uh, defenses in Georgia where we've had the defenses and then they've been taken away. This is almost the exact opposite. So this has always been a defense in Georgia, willful misconduct. But before the Supreme Court ruled on the case of Chandler Telecom versus Burdett, prior to that ruling, it really was a situation where your conduct had to almost, well, I'm not going to say almost, I think it had to be criminal. Like, I think you had to engage in a criminal act pretty much um, in order to to use the defense, willful but now, and bad. Willful, bad, yeah, detestable, um, uh, chargeable, yeah. So, like, but this is this is great. So, um, in terms of giving employers a little more traction in situations where employees have absolutely defied and refused to follow safety instructions. So, real quick, you know, um, Chandler Telecom versus Burdett is the Supreme Court case. And um, this is a case, Clay, where the employee was working on a cell phone tower. So you're talking about at a really, you know, the height, you know, really uh, great heights and a really dangerous situation. So it's not like you have to say to yourself, oh, gee, is that a dangerous position to be in? Well, of course it is. You know, you're so um, the the situation is this. The supervisor had clearly instructed this employee when you come down from the cell tower, when you finish with the repair and you come down, do not, under any circumstances, no matter what, come down doing the controlled descent method. I want you to come down a different method. You're not to use the controlled descent method. So the controlled descent method, my, my lay understanding of it, is it's kind of like rock climbing. It's like you got right, a harness right, right. and ropes and you're going yeah. down. And it's probably the more fun of the two methods, like, you know, if you had to pick. But it was not the preferred method for safety. And it was clear in this case that the employee was, A, aware and completely understood what the rule was, and B, chose to defy or ignore the rule, and C, understood and it was presumed they understood the consequences of not um you know uh, complying with safety rules from that and the choice to disregard the rule is not reasonable under the circumstances that's right well that's the law in alabama too oh see we oh this is awesome this is the first time uh since podcast that we've had a perfect agreement between georgia and alabama on anything right ever uh well we're not gonna talk about football today but all right so (laughs) so so here's what burdett basically and then we'll talk about alabama so you're in georgia If you have clearly communicated, and I'm going to say this, hello, employers, insurers, and well-documented. So let's just talk about this a minute, right? You can can have done all the right things, but if we can't present testimony and put an exhibit sticker on it, I like to use that phrase, can I put an exhibit sticker on it, Um, then it's not going to bode well in court. It's not going to help you out. So if you have clearly communicated the rule, okay, and you can prove it in court, through a lot of documentation. And here's the language from Burdett, and the employee intentionally violates his employer's instructions with the knowledge that it is likely to result 
in serious injury or with a wanton and reckless disregard of probable consequences. Okay, so that means we're not you, we're not quite at that level. We're not okay. Alabama's not quite that high. Okay, so you you got it. You got to disregard the rule, and you have to know you're probably going to be seriously injured if you do. Okay, I mean that that's the bottom line, and I just documentation is key. Well, you know, Alabama is similar to a point. Okay, okay. we've got the same general elements. Okay. I mean, you've got to know what the rule was. Uh, you've got to appreciate the purpose of the rule. You've got to uh, elect to disregard the rule, and disregarding the rule uh, was. Uh, uh, was was uh, not reasonable under the circumstances. There's a case, for example, a guy was in a bucket truck, and he is in a position where he's being shot repeatedly by virtue of the position of the bucket truck. Well, he I thinks, have to stop you real quick. Shocked repeatedly. Yeah. So so he decided to get out of the truck. Takes the lanyard off, jumps. Okay. The employer defends, saying you're supposed to wear your lanyard. Well. You know, his, his projection of the rule under those circumstances was not said to be unreasonable. I can understand that. So it didn't that. really, really didn't apply under those circumstances. Right. So, I mean, it's, uh, so we're, we're, we're very similar, but it's not, we don't have to, that quite the level of proof. No, we do have the burden of proof. Okay. The employer has the burden. So if you, if you're defending a case based on willful misconduct, whatever the basis of that defense is. Right. The employer has the burden of proof. So just to, just to summarize the rule, no you know no compensation, uh, you know is going to be allowed for injury or death caused by the willful misconduct of the employee, by an employee's intentional injury bring about his own injury to himself or herself, his willful failure to use a, use a safety device provided by the employer, um, and by intoxication of drugs or alcohol. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But you know even under the situation of drugs or alcohol. If you are, if you refuse a, a drug test, you're presumed to be impaired right. under the law. Right. Uh, and if you test positive, you're obviously impaired under the law. Right. We have the burden of establishing that that impairment actually contributed to cause the accident. Yeah. So it's not going to do you any 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 good if somebody is drinking a, a, a you know a pint of beer in the morning on a construction site puts on their hard hat, and somebody drops a brick on their head. Right, no causation. There's no causation. Right. I mean, the they may be impaired, Right. but the impairment had no connection with causing the accident. No, and, and that rule for impairment is the same in Georgia, but, you know, we need to talk about, like, uh, maybe maybe we'll do a podcast on drinking, drugs, fighting, and horseplay. That'd be a fun one, right? Yeah, would be because, fun. because in Georgia, we We're have... We're not going to do that one in the morning, though. No, 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 no. Well, clearly. <laughs> Happy hour podcast. Um, so, no, but, but the, for Georgia, we have a whole separate statute with respect to drug and alcohol right. use testing, and um, we do get a presumption, so maybe separate in Georgia. But, but the general rule on causation is the same. And so I'm going to say this for the Burdett situation. You are correct. You know, if I have an employee who has clearly violated a rule, but the rule, but that violation did not actually result in the injury, it doesn't matter. There still has to be the causal connection. Well, there, there, there. and you know, it's, I tell you where we see it most often. Okay. So you, in an industrial setting, right. where <clears throat> there is an employer rule to lock and tag out before working on equipment. Right, okay? right. We see this fairly frequently. Lock out, tag out, so, yep. you know, you know, the if, if you're defending on that basis, you need to make sure that there is ample evidence that the employee knew the rule. Yep. So do they have safety meetings? Right. Do they sign off on the policy? Uh, do they have a, did, 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 were, they, were they previously admonished by the employer 
for this very rule violation. So you, that's going to impute knowledge, you know, where it may not, you know, it may be otherwise difficult to prove it. And then if they go ahead and do it under the circumstances, then you know, you've, you've got that defense. Now, in Alabama, if you prevail on that defense, it only affects compensation. It doesn't affect medical treatment. Oh, what about Georgia? Okay, so let me talk about what you said. So we're the same in Georgia for part of that, not all of it, not all of it. So same in Georgia in terms of, I want to advise everybody, you have to look to these factors. And what I always use, the lockout tagout's a good example. I use wearing a harness. I see this in construction. I do a lot of construction stuff. I see it in right, construction right. a lot. So, you know, somebody's not wearing a harness on a roof. You have to look to, did the supervisor actually notice it and not reprimand you? If you've got somebody who violated a rule, but their supervisor kind of let it slide a bunch of times or even one time, we probably don't have a defense. I, I had a case where the guy fell off the roof and he was drunk, fine yeah. and dandy, except they knew he was drunk. He, he, was, showed up for, he showed up for work drunk every Yeah, day. so these rules have to be strictly enforced rules, okay? I definitely, I definitely agree with you on that. I definitely agree with you on documentation. Um, so if you, you know, but what I'm going to say, we do have the burden of proof. Um, obviously it is a high burden. Uh, but guess what? If we win, we win on everything. There's no medical, no indemnity, no PPD. It's a complete defense to the whole claim. So, you know, I'll tell people if you have folks working in a construction, uh, scenario and you require them to wear harnesses, you talk about it at every safety meeting. Have them sign off. Uh, you know, have people put their initials, sign off, and say, right. I understand I have to right. wear a harness during all of these circumstances. And make sure, most importantly, that the direct supervisors are in compliance with those rules. And I think you have a defense. I really do. Yep. So. Now, in your, on your willful misconduct law in Georgia, does that include um, misrepresentation of the application? Because it is in Alabama. It's part of our rule. So, so another topic, another day. We have, if you misrepresent um, something in a post-employment questionnaire, we have what's called a Rycroft defense for the name of the case. Um, that's a whole separate defense in Georgia, and it has a whole separate host okay. of rules that we have to go by. Yeah. Well, we have that defense in Alabama, and it's part of the Willful Misconduct 25-551 okay. statute. And if you, it's, I mean, it's misrepresentations as to pre-existing physical mental conditions may void your workers' compensation benefits. If you've got that on the application or right. words to that effect, right. and they deliberately mis- misrepresent something, then you've got that defense. So ours for Rycroft, similar but not, and I'll have to elaborate, you know, on, on another day, but the Rycroft defense basically says in Georgia, if you make an intentional misrepresentation on a post-employment questionnaire, and the employer relied on that misrepresentation to place you in a particular position in your employment. You don't have to rely on Alabama. Yeah, There's Georgia. a crazy case we have from a few years ago yeah. where a guy was working for a grocery store, okay? Uh-huh. Major grocery store chain. He injures his neck and his back and has workers' compensation claim. He's paid. He settles it. And he comes back. He quits the job. Right. And he comes back two years later. And he fill, he's filling out the application. Have you ever injured your neck? Or your, no, I haven't. <laughs> Same employer. And guess what happens? He, he injures yeah. his neck and his back. Uh. Well, the plaintiff lawyer logically took the position he got to prove reliance. No, you don't. Yeah. Not under those circumstances. Wow. So, no, with us, you know, the employer has to prove uh, to, to take advantage of that defense, they have to prove they relied on the misrepresentation mm-hmm. and that um, that misrepresentation obviously was, you know, had a causation for the injury. So, in other words, like, let's say that you 
Uh, so the employer has to say, hey, you told me you didn't have a back injury or you've never had back surgery. Right. If I had known that, I did have an office position I could have placed you in. Instead, I placed you as a delivery driver. Right. And I would have placed you in another position. So I have had success in the past on the Rycroft defense. Again, everybody in Georgia, that is a completely separate defense from what we're talking about under Burdett. Completely separate defense. But we we can talk about that. Or call me, call Clay, email (laughs) us. We're happy to talk further with you individually. This has been fun. It has been fun. Yeah. Everybody loves willful misconduct. Especially me. (laughs) Have a good one. (laughs) Bye. Thanks so much for joining our CompCast today. We hope you found the information we've discussed today helpful. And if so, please do share it with your colleagues and friends. Make it a good one. Bye.